Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, Bob from RetroRGB here. Uh, I want to try to do something new. I want to try a weekly review of retro gaming news and see if anybody's interested. Um... How freaking cool is that? I have my own opening now. Thank you so much to my buddy Kenji for doing that. Hey guys, I'm here with uh, HD Retrovision. I'm here with Voltar. How you doing, man? Hey man, how are you? This is the uh, the last one in my old apartment. So sorry if it's a little bit echoey today. But uh, next week, I will be coming to you from New York City. Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. It's the first one in my new apartment. So I am here with my friend Renee from DB Electronics. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, you? Welcome to a very special one-year anniversary of the Retro Roundup. It was May 9th of last year that I did my first one, which was a Monday. Um, This is Tuesday night that I'm recording it. You guys see it Wednesday morning. Um, And I'm excited to say that in the one-year anniversary, I'm here in the Retro RGB office in Brooklyn. Uh, And this week, I'd like to invite... Wes from Second Opinion Games. What's up, man? Nothing much, nothing much. I am so glad to be here. This week, I am joined by Mark, a.k.a. Triforce, from My Life in Gaming. What's up, man? Hey, doing good. I am here with Russ Lyman. How's it going, man? What's up? What's up, Corey? How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast, which, unfortunately, is probably going to be the last for the foreseeable future. Um, I really wanted more than anything to do this for a living and to make this the main focus of my life, but... It's just not how life works out sometimes. Don't call it a comeback. I'm back, bitch. HD Retrovision posted a new update on their website. The Sony PlayStation cables are still in stock, but they're working on getting stock pack of the Genesis cables, and will continue work on the Dreamcast cables as well. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast, number 100. I can't believe I made 100 of these so far, and uh, I'm really looking forward to keeping going with this. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I moved into the new place, but so I finally have the new site launched. Um, I struggled for months, and then my buddy Justin jumped in and helped, and uh, thank you so much for that, by the way. Hello, and welcome to the Retro RGB Weekly Roundup. I'm the guest host this week, Smoke Monster. My name is Recommend, and I'm filling in for Bob this week. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I am out traveling, and I'm just now here in Smoke Monster's lair, uh, and I got here after the podcast was... Uh, was shot. So enjoy a few segments with Smoke Monster, uh, and we'll check in afterwards. Hey, it's Smoke Monster, and welcome to the Retro RGB Weekly Roundup. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Ronnie. I've been a writer for Retro RGB for a bit over a year now, and I'll be filling in for Bob this week. 
Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 200th Weekly Roundup podcast. I cannot believe we made it this far. I am so excited. I actually had a lot of stuff planned that I wanted to launch today on the 200th, but because of everything going on, absolutely everything has been put on hold. Everything that I wanted to do, all the very cool plans, they all, I think, are still happening. Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Obviously, I am not Bob. Bob is still sick, unfortunately, and he asked me, John Lindemann from Digital Foundry, to uh, handle this week's podcast. So, Hey everybody, welcome to my very last podcast in New York City. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast, coming from a pretty much empty room in my new place. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. If you're watching this on video, you might notice a new background. Joined here uh, by Bob, the guy who runs RetroRGB.com, which is... Uh, thanks a lot, man. Really happy to be here. I get, uh, came armed with beer, so we're ready to go for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Back burner. I'm going to try tomorrow morning to release, like, uh, um, in case... I'm sorry for repeating myself for anybody that heard this before, but I'm going to try to do, like, a week in retro gaming review for anybody who wants to, like, you know... Cause that's my goal, and I want to make them all really short, like five minutes, and, you know... You say one. that now. So, Cousin Scott, <laughs> we're here for the 300th. I um, can't believe it, After man. watching that whole uh, that whole thing, did you ever suspect that I'd we'd be sitting here 300 episodes, 10 years into, basically, when you came up with the idea of turning the Google Doc into the website? I mean... I didn't doubt that uh, you could if you wanted to. I, I didn't. I didn't realize it was going to become such a phenomenon that, like, you know, it was going to become such a like a centerpiece of like the whole scene that people would just come to rely on it. That, you know, somewhere along the way, I realized that it had plenty of staying power. But at first, it just seemed like, you know, somebody who tried and more or less failed to make a podcast. Um, I just didn't know if you were going to be up for all the work that was involved. <laughs> Neither did I. I had no idea the work that was going to be involved. <laughs> but you were more than up for all of that. That wasn't really the problem. And that, and I realized that pretty quickly in, that uh, that you were able to put in the, the dedicated hours to making like high-quality content. So somewhere along the way, I realized that you could get to 300 episodes, but I didn't. I wasn't keeping score very much, so I'm a little surprised that we're here that at, at this point now. Yeah, it, it is funny too because like that whole hundredth episode in the Brooklyn office thing that seems like I mean it feels like a decade ago. It does it not does, feel yeah. like you know. And then you know the the two hundredth that was the right. I think that was the week of lockdown. I think that was the week that the world shut down, and I was like, I had so many so many grandiose plans that year that you know yeah, that we all probably did, and then. Uh, yeah, it was just kind of a, a blink of an eye. When I when I put that together, the it was funny because I, I put a draft together and a friend of ours suggested um, I actually omitted something uh, that he didn't think would really be a good fit. And then he's like, "Why don't you put all the other writers in there?" And I was like, "That's that's, that's actually a, yeah, that's a nice touch." Yeah, yeah, and and seeing that that, that gave me the feels just now, seeing yeah. all those awesome people stepping yeah. up like that. It it expresses that like this is a community that you've you know fostered rather than just. Uh, some kind of uh, cult of personality you've built around yourself that like the, the whole oh, point yeah. of retro RGB is to like that it's not especially the, the <laughs> news which is like sort of in some ways like my favorite part of it is to just to get like a digest of what everybody in the world is up to this week mm. is uh, I mean like you're a personality and I love you to death but like the, the the value of the of the news is just 
to celebrate the uh, the community and uh, to see the other hosts in there is a good expression of that i think absolutely yeah it was always about all i mean it really took i think three or four podcasts in before i added the first interview because i immediately realized all i'm doing is talking about other people and the website was a culmination of other people's contributions so i was like wow this is this is really like i've always said i'm bob from retro rgb but that's kind of when I started doing the podcast, I really knew, like, this is not at all about me. It's about mm -hmm. celebrating everybody else. So mm -hmm. It was pretty cool. And you've got, like, a like a Harry Potter-style, like, you know, video diary of, like, like watching you get old and shit. I've never seen Harry Potter or read the books. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry. Well, there's uh, kids on them, and they get older as it goes along. That, that's that's what you need to okay. know. <laughs> I can visualize that. I do think, I did not realize this till we sat down. We did not do this on purpose, but we're drinking Trooper Beer. The same thing that I was drinking that night that I get drunk with the My Life in Gaming video. But that that's really how this podcast started. Is I had about, I mean, I had quite a few. I don't remember how many, but it was more than I should have. And I was just drunk and like, I should start a podcast. Scott's yeah. talks about podcasts. Uh, and that really is how it all came about. But when I watched that video, I watched their whole live stream to uh, to, to get that clip. Because I, I, I knew I said something like it. I had no memory of Mark going, you know, you say that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, was he right? And they just lost. I don't know if you can make a five minute video if you I guess you do. Uh, yeah. Not the news, though. No, no way. But they just launched that two hour and 40 minute Mr. Video. So that's even more fitting that Mark would well, say. Well, you had a nice that. short video on that. That was like 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, you could look at that both ways. You could either look at that as my video as a 10 minute ad for their video, <laughs> or at the end of their video, they might be like, so if you forgot where you started, go watch Bob's video. <laughs> Get the 101 over there, right? <laughs> yeah, so that was perfect. I'm glad I did that with friends. I'm glad that, uh, that we were able... I'm glad that we're all still friends after all this time. And everybody in there I still talk to. Smoke Foster isn't, isn't really as much in the retro gaming scene, but I still talk to him. Still love him. Good dude. So, yeah. Well, um... I mean, this really is the normal weekly podcast. I don't want to spend too much more people's time on an opening, but I guess... Since since we started the website, right? It was the Google Doc, mm -hmm. and every single page on that website for the first three years was proofread by Scott before it went live. Every mm -hmm. single page, and every single time, Scott would get halfway down and be like, what the fuck is this? Why would people know to get to this without that? Mm -hmm. Like, So you were absolutely instrumental in making sure this website was readable. <laughs> well, i tell you what, that, 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 to speak to something that I don't do anymore, which is that, like, I think that you really do produce some, like, sparkling content on the, on, on the website. Like, the, the prose is, like, very readable, and that's, an, like, a learned skill. Like, you, you produce excellent content, on, like, on those articles especially. Thank you. I've been doing tech writing since I was 19, though, so if it wasn't passable at this point, I should just quit and delete <laughs> it all. So. Um, so I guess anything in this past 300 episodes or since the website started 10 years ago plus, like uh, anything stand out at all? Or is it like, uh, uh, or anything that you're looking forward to? Or are you basically just along for the ride at this point like I am? I mean, I'm along for the ride. As far as like things that like, uh, that I think is like the coolest, I mean, like, I think it, it it's approximately like consistent with the the consoles that I'm most interested in. So I'm always curious about Virtual Boy news. Mm. I like it when um, I like it when you spotlight like um, like some of the creative stuff. Like when somebody makes like a cool new Game Boy game or something like that. Some of that really kind of like sparks my interest. And you know, as far as like the the hardcore like video stuff, it's it's the consoles that I'm most fascinated by. So like the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo and that kind of stuff, but also the Neo Geo, 
as well and um you know just all the content that makes like the like my favorite consoles um really sing are the the things that continue to like fascinate me i think and vectric stuff of course of course the vectric <laughs> yeah it's the same for me but i also love reading about stuff that i normally wouldn't have any interest in i mean this with love and respect but i can't tell you how many times i'll read an article about a platform that i didn't even know existed until one of the oh. contributors had it and a new project and i'll get to the end of that article and go that was so cool I'll never fucking do anything in yeah. there. I'll never try it. And I'll probably never forget that I read it. But like, what a, an amazing experience knowing that this thing exists as nerds. So that's absolutely true. And you know, like learning about like, especially like international gamers, like before you got into this scene, like I didn't know that like SNK fighting games were like huge in South America or why or anything like that. And yeah. I like learning about that and then like going to events and seeing like people that are just like, as into like King of Fighters as we were into Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat back in the day and like understanding the story behind that is like yeah. that's really fascinating too. Yeah, I always love being in a room full of people where I don't speak the language and nobody gives a shit. We're yeah, all just, yeah, yeah. we're all at the same mm -hmm. interest. It's like that metal shows too. No one cares. It's great. <laughs> I love it. No one cares in the most beautiful way possible. Mm -hmm. So well Scott, here's to uh ten crazy years of this that's and right. then twenty years before that of being asshole cousins. So <laughs> hey, brother. Cheers everybody. First up, the game Ogre Battle for the Sega Saturn has just released a complete English translation from the Medusa team, but this wasn't just the PS1 script ported over. I think they did use that as a route, but there were a lot of translation mistakes, and there was a whole bunch of localization that happened on that version, so I believe they basically just redid the entire translation themselves and added some quality of life upgrades like... Um, transparent backgrounds and moving some of the voice action over from the PS1 version to this. Basically just a real deep dive translation and I guess relocalization might be the best way to put it. I'm trying to say that with all of the compliments I possibly can wrapped up into this thing. So um, the only thing at the moment is it seems to be having issues with the 3D control pad or retrobit controllers either wired or wireless. I'm actually not quite sure why that would happen, but if you're using any OEM wired Sega Saturn controllers, that's not a problem at all. Uh, and just as always, I'm, I'm so appreciative to anybody who would take the time to go and do a full translation, let alone add all of these other things to it. I think we're really lucky in the retro gaming world that we get to experience all this stuff now. And things like this are the number one reason why I really push for different ways of booting homebrew on consoles. It's not just for backups of your own games. It really is for stuff like this. So thanks so much to the Medusa team and also to Dave for writing this up. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this is the conclusion-ish of the last few weeks of showing everybody how to make a PCB assembly order through them. Now, one of the processes that I showed was ordering separately any parts that they didn't have in stock or were unavailable, and most of those were the result of just a global part shortage. However, going forward for smaller orders in the future, you might want to count on doing assembly for the very weird items you might have, like a SCART connector, which are not common in the world anymore. So if that's the case, you get your assembly with some parts missing. So as you can see, they arrived in one box altogether and mostly assembled, but there's a few things that we're going to have to add. I like to start out with the smallest components or the components that are most of a pain to get to, and while I normally prefer liquid flux, 
I usually like paste flux this time because the components kind of sticks to the pads, making it a little easier to hold them in place. Don't worry, we're going to clean all of this off before we're done. So I'm going to start with some of the small surface mount components. I'm also going to do the USB header first because having these pins recessed always trips me up. You got to make sure to use a lot of flux and just be very careful with your tip. Then I'm going to move over to the video amp, the THS7374, which is very tricky, but if you're patient, you could definitely get it done. All right, now that the hard stuff's over with, I'm going to snap in the bigger components like the SCART connector and just solder that up. It's about as easy as you could get. Uh, and then the final component, I'm going to add the VGA connector and I ordered the wrong one. Well, everybody... Welcome to prototyping. Expect this to happen no matter what your design. This is obviously my fault, not JLC PCBs, because I'm the one that ordered the VGA connector separately to do this. But I'm going to finish up the install just so you can take a look at the final product. And while this definitely doesn't work because none of the pins line up, it certainly looks good. I mean, you could obviously see what components JLC PCB added versus the stuff I just did. But overall, I would consider this project and these ads mostly a success because I was able to show you how to place a PCB assembly order, as well as compensate for the fact that we're in a global part shortage and have to partially assemble some of it yourself. But hey, maybe I'll swing back and do the same exact project again as soon as some of the parts are back in stock and I could have JLC PCB do most of the assembly. And of course, I'll be having more info out on this exact item what it is and why you would want it soon uh, it's kind of an extension of the original scart cleaner but there's just some info that are in the logistics side that my fellow retro gaming nerds might want so stay tuned for that and thanks again to jlc pcb there was actually a second Sega Saturn game translated from Japanese to English this week. This one is Yumimi Mix Remix, which is like an interactive graphic novel, so there's no way that you'd be able to really appreciate and enjoy the game without understanding what's going on, making the English translation really important. I've been really fired up about these translations, so I asked Jimmy Hoppe to jump in and give his thoughts on these. サッパさんがユミミミックスを英訳してメルザチームさんが伝説の大型バトルを英訳してネットにアップしました。世界の人々が日本のゲームを体験できるようになったこと、本当に素晴らしいことだと思います。でも残念ながらボブさんは暗報
I checked out Rick's video and it looked awesome. You know, I like I like Doom. You know, this was never my favorite game because I usually got motion sick while playing it. But um, seeing it with you know rendered in higher resolution at ultra fast frame rates with ray tracing on like this. I don't really get that sense of motion sick that I used to. And now that I got a 3060 graphics card, I would love to try this thing out in a fast frame rate scenario with these effects on. Um, but if you're a fan of Doom and you have a modern-ish graphics card that could do ray tracing, I would highly recommend trying it because it just gives definitely gives a different look and feel to everything. And at the very least, check out Rick's post for all the details that you would need on it. Pre-orders are now open for a Bluetooth adapter for the CDI console. And there's a few things to note about it, but overall it seems very promising, and I do like the idea of using a wireless keyboard, mouse, and controller for CDI stuff. But let me run through the details to make sure that this is something that you'd be interested in. First, this is a project that was accomplished by combining BluePad32 with TW Burns controller library, plus some custom code. You could buy it in multiple different stages, so you could buy just the parts, you could add some of your own parts, or you could get it complete with a 3D printed case, which came to $82 for the one that I purchased, including shipping to the US around the New York area. And at the moment, it only supports controllers or controllers with analog sticks. However, the team is looking into keyboard and mouse support. And I think that's pretty important because at the moment I have TW Burns adapter, which I was able to use with a wireless mouse. I thought that was perfect as far as mouse support goes. But I think having just an adapter sitting on top of my CDI that I could connect with Bluetooth might be an overall better experience. Now, people who've watched this podcast for, you know, throughout the 300 episodes might be wondering why I'm asking for a Bluetooth adapter when I almost always say Bluetooth is too slow for retro. And there's actually been some updates to that. First, a lot of the stuff, especially anything Mr. Related that's Bluetooth focused, has been able to get much faster and you do get a lot more performance. You have to check the latency sheets, of course. Uh, I did not see any numbers for BluePad32, but hopefully people will get around to testing that. So you have to double check each scenario, but there is potential for a not so laggy Bluetooth solution on Retro. However, the CDI itself is incredibly laggy. If you remember, the CDI wasn't really a game console. It was an interactive multimedia player, and then it really started to get more traction when they advertised games for it. So I think in its design, the controller port was really an afterthought and sometimes could add quite a bit of latency just on its own to the gameplay. So that being said, even with a wired controller, you're probably not going to see any Tetris champions going to the CDI in order to play it. But stuff like Thunder in Paradise, you know, I absolutely enjoyed that game. Uh, no sarcasm, I really did. That was better with a mouse, but other things on there I imagine would be a good fit with the um, with a controller. So you could certainly get it now for that, but I do hope the team does put some effort into getting support for keyboards and mouse as well. Um, I'm not sure which of the games required a keyboard. I vaguely remember something like 7th Guest or 11th Hour, whichever one was on the platform requiring a keyboard, but I could just be confusing it with when I played that game on a PC when I was a kid, so you might not even need keyboard support for any games, but the mouse support would definitely be worthwhile. So uh, I think it's pre-order for a few months until they ship, but I pre-ordered mine anyway just in hopes that the lad mouse support... And uh, if not, I'm sure one of my, 
you know, four friends that like the CDI would be interested in it if uh, if I end up not using it. But either way, if you're a fan of the console, I'm sorry, interactive multimedia player, then check out the post and see if this adapter is for you. Dan Mons recently posted a written interview with the creator of ExoDOS, Exo, and I was absolutely glued to it. This was one of those interviews where I started to read knowing that I'm a nerd and I'm always into this stuff, but I figured, oh, I'll start it out, then I'll, you know, go have my coffee and finish, and I just did not move from out in front of my laptop until I was done. What a great interview, what a great project. Um, The summary is basically, there is now a group of people working on making sure that old MS-DOS games and Windows 3.1 games are not only preserved, but playable. And EXO makes an entire point that I wholeheartedly agree with, that preservation shouldn't just be about locking things in a vault and making sure they're there. Preservation through playing these games and interacting with them is the most important part. I mean, I guess the close second would be making sure they're stored somewhere anyway, but the fact that they're out there isn't as important as being able to use them. And this whole project basically just started when EXO wanted to play an old game and realized that they couldn't really find everything that's out there. It was kind of hard to work with DOSBox, so they tried to make an interface that allowed it to be very easy. Basically just click, it auto-installs, and then you can start playing your game however you'd like. But then it evolved, as these things normally do, into choosing what kind of audio card you wanted to emulate. Because back in the day, different types of audio cards had different sounds, especially things like the Roland MT32 versus like just a Creative Lab Sound Blaster. So this is a project that I'm super excited about. It got me fired up to play some old DOS or Windows 3.1 games, and I downloaded it and checked it out myself, and I thought it was very cool. So if you're a super nerd into this stuff, definitely read every word of this interview. Thanks to Dan for doing it. And if you're just kind of curious about what the project is, um, check the different links, see if you could download it, and give it a try yourself. Chris from Displaced Gamers just released a video talking about how the code of Mega Man 2 works. And since I'm not smart enough to figure out this on my own, I brought Corey from My Life in Gaming in to help me out. What's up, Corey? You say that like I'm smart enough to understand it, too. Like, I I watch this and I, I enjoy it. But it's it's sometimes like it's hard for me to follow. It's almost like listening to uh, try talking about resolutions. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I think between the both of us, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to talk through this. So mm-hmm. um, I guess basically the video sums up how the code was unique and different from other NES games. And, you know, the Chris did talk about how zipping works. So how speedrunners use an exploit to skip or zip across a level, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, the other mm-hmm. thing that I really took away from that was the developer who wrote the code came from an industrial background where they wrote code for industrial machinery, which is an environment that I've worked in that you, you mean, there's no margin for error there. So mm-hmm. I guess there was a lot of checks in that code to make sure things were working, but I wonder yeah. how much that affected the overall performance of the game. Cause I think we all know Mega Man two had just so much slowdown all the time. Anytime there was more than a right. couple characters. But I mean, it, that is not something that I really noticed when I originally played it. But in the years since, uh, I definitely have. And it, it kind of goes on to explain about how uh, certain things like like those checks and then having to do sequels 
with another programmer coming in and having to build stuff on top of that code, hmm. you know, explains some of the performance issues in later games too. Yeah, that was a great point that I, I really enjoyed. And, you know, that's laying the groundwork for what comes next is something that sometimes you don't think about it or sometimes you do think about it, but you're under a deadline. So it's like, well, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a paycheck or no paycheck. So let's just get this through. And so yeah. that's an interesting perspective of, you know, how much going forward was based on the work before it. And, and very often in the nerd world, hardware and software, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, it makes you wonder if a lot of these checks were in there because they had such a, a tight development timeline on this. Like, I think Chris said it was like three months that I wonder if these checks were in there to make sure that they didn't have to, they didn't get caught into a situation, caught in a situation where things were just broken later on. Yeah. And it screws them out of making their deadline. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective. I mean, that's why I love videos like this and that's why i love the behind mm -hmm. the scenes stuff so you know yeah. I, I would love to see somebody interview the original developers and get their perspective i'd love to see the mm -hmm. the original developers watch chris's video and kind of yeah. give like the behind the scenes well this is why that is but i just mm -hmm. uh you know i'm certainly very happy to have chris um you know a lot his time to make these posts on retro rgb because i watch mm -hmm. all of the videos I just can't tell you how many times I started writing up a description of one of the videos and I, you know, I'll write a paragraph, delete it, write a paragraph and just be like, I'm not <laughs> like smart enough to write this up. <laughs> like, so the fact that Chris does that for us now is a big help, but you know, it's, and, um, and Chris, he's, he's such a engaging, uh, you know, instructor in these videos. I, I feel like, uh, and I really, really like his follow-up videos that he usually does called uh talk and code where it's a little bit more casual, but just, really thoroughly explains things in in an easy way i suppose you know it's like it's easy but i i say easy but there's one point in this video where there is so much information on the screen <laughs> that i had to pause it and just look at it and i think he put a little easter egg like a couple of frames of something that that might have said like like you get that <laughs> really quick right before the cut that's funny yeah you know um I, the way I approach these videos, because I'm not a programmer, I'm a, a hardware developer by by trade and an IT nerd. So when I get into programming stuff, I usually watch the video. And then if it's a subject I'm really into, I'll watch it a second time because I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, Chris does a, a great job laying out the technical stuff. But, you know, that that is not what makes, dis, uh, you know, displaced gamers great. It's the fact that you could lay out that technical stuff and have somebody like me who's not a programmer eventually understand it. I think that's the secret of that channel. And, you know, right. the stuff that is important to me, I'll go back and watch a second time. And almost always after the second watch, I'm like, aha, okay, I get it now. <laughs> I mean, I still yeah. didn't program it, but at least I understand what he's talking about. Yep. Uh, Displaced Gamer is definitely one of my my favorite channels that I that I watch currently, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Corey, thanks very much for jumping on just for this fun little segment. You know, it's uh, you and Mark, obviously, we're, we're part of the catalyst to even start mm -hmm. this podcast. So it's awesome to, to have you here and, uh, and join us for the 300th. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on 300. Thank you That's very a, much. Uh, it's a serious milestone. <laughs> yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> there were at some point N64 Bluetooth controller adapters available this week, but I think there were a few bumps in the road and I believe they're all sold out, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit just to hype the project for when they're back in stock. 
somebody took the Blue Retro Project, which is a very fast Bluetooth to retro controller adapter. That's uh, what I was mentioning before about how some of these have gotten much faster. And they have created just basic plug-and-play dongles for the N64. Just plug it right in, sync your controller, and that's it. Unfortunately, though, the whole rollout kind of got a little weird in that Tindy didn't fully approve the store yet, which is not the seller's fault, by the way. It's just growing pains, right? Um, But eventually the store was approved. It opened up and they all sold out pretty quickly. But hopefully um, you could still purchase this at some point in the future. Hopefully they'll buy more because I think a lot of people are looking for good wireless solutions. And now that Bluetooth is getting fast enough that it makes sense to use with retro consoles that were not designed with controller lag in mind. I think a lot of people would prefer to use modern controllers on multiple different things rather than just buy individual sets for each of their consoles. So I could completely see why more people are going to Bluetooth, especially now that it's faster. And this seems to be a great way to do it. So we'll update you when these things go back in stock. I imagine they're going to sell out pretty quickly. So hopefully whoever's selling these could get enough budget to make a whole bunch of them next time and just put out one big sale. But either way, I'm just happy to see these projects out there. And I think more people are probably going to be moving over to Bluetooth, especially for the N64, because you can get some really great Bluetooth controllers that definitely surpass the original. Ah, all right. Let's see here. What do we got next? Oh, we got, we got a post from Bob uh, promoting a video from Bob. Uh, about CRTs and magnetically shielded speakers. Uh, what's this about? As the world transitioned from CRTs to flat panel displays, audio companies no longer felt the need to shield the magnets on their speakers, as flat panel TVs aren't affected by magnetic fields in the same way. In fact, <laughs> this video is 15 minutes. 50. Bob. Why do you need 15 minutes to say, oh, if your speaker uh, makes funny colors next to your CRT, well, how about you don't put your speaker next to a CRT? Done. Like, I swear, people making videos longer than they need to be. I, I can't, I can't say, I, I am not, wa- I'm not, I'm not watching this garbage. Although, maybe I should have watched this before putting my left rear channel speaker on top of my grandma's 1970s vintage CRT. Actually, uh, yeah, good job, Bob. I, uh, should, I should probably actually watch that and, uh, take some of that advice to heart. I just released a podcast with Cousin Scott where we talk about our opinions on watching old TV shows or movies on CRTs, projectors, 480i versus 480p. And it was kind of unique because this was one of the rare retro RGB moments where there were no facts at all. This was 100% opinions. And I think that's because there really isn't a definitive wrong way to watch TV and movies. I mean, there's you could argue on what the developer or uh, director intended or something like that, but there really isn't a wrong way. There's no laggy scalar equivalent for TV or movies that you could definitively say is wrong. But I do think that we had some pretty cool opinions on what we perceive as our preferred way to watch some of that stuff. But I think it really opened up discourse for a much larger conversation than this. I think this is kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for a lot of people in the community to do a a bunch more research and, and do some more testing. And for me personally, what I would 
absolutely love to see is a database of movie and TV transfers in the original format they were shot in, the different transfers and transfer methods. And I specifically, for my own personal collection, would love to figure out what content that I want to watch was either originally shot in 4x3 or something squarer than we're used to, and also didn't have the best transfers. Because my conclusion in that was for things like DVDs, you know, I really preferred a clean transfer. I preferred watching on a giant uh, projector screen, to be honest. But there was a lot of stuff that I really thought was a great fit for a CRT. And the number one thing was kind of a noisy, square-ish movie. And I thought was just a perfect fit for a CRT. So I'd love all of your opinions on that. And I'd also love if any of you had any suggestions of... Uh, especially movies, because TV shows were often shot in 4x3, but movies that weren't full widescreen that didn't have the greatest transfer that might actually benefit from just watching all analog on a VHS tape or laser disc. And once again, these are all opinions. You could completely and totally disagree with me, but you still might enjoy that podcast. So check it out if you're interested. I would love to hear any suggestions that anybody has for that type of movies. And I'd also really love to work with some of the whatnot sellers who specialize in VHS and Laserdisc to see if they have any opinions on this and if they could help us out with what we're looking for. But um, for now, check out the podcast if you're interested. As usual, it's available absolutely everywhere podcasts are found. Uh, so if you want to listen audio only, which is, we have some visual examples, but it really is just the chat. So pick your favorite app and search for retro RGB Scott, and that should be the first thing that pops up. And there are lots of Mr. Updates this week, uh, starting out with the PSX core. Uh, the PlayStation core has most features almost implemented, but some important bugs still need to be fixed before an official release is made. Uh, some of the games that have major bugs fixed so far include Tobal Number 1, Dead or Alive, Jackie Chan's Stuntmaster, and all of the Resident Evil games. And uh, we have some links to Twitter posts with relevant information. Uh, there are a bunch of updates to uh, Hotego's cores, uh, including uh, several that have been taken out of private and made public, uh, like Road Fighter, Konami's Ping Pong, and Hypersports. And uh, he has also released a new Rastan Saga Arcade Core for Patreon subscribers. And uh, we have links to those and to the relevant GitHub. Uh, last Friday, there was a Mr. Stage event broadcast featuring developers Wickerwaka and Birdie Bro. Uh, Wickerwaka has worked on the adaptive scan lines, contributed to cores, helped with documentation, and a lot more. And Birdie Bro has worked on multiple cores like Joust 2 and Mystic Marathon. And uh, the episode will be available to listen to on demand uh, later uh, on podcasting apps and YouTube. And uh, Lou uh, released an Ironclad Plus video last week, which is an I.O. board for the Mr. that lets you attach uh, a to, a, to an, a mini ITX, micro ATX, or ATX computer case, uh, giving you lots of options for mounting it. Uh, and check that video out. We'll have a link to that. Uh, Bob, or to RGB, released a Mr. video, a quick kind of 10-minute rundown of everything uh, that'll help you get started quickly. And um, Checkermate have announced two flat panel monitors inspired by the look of older CRTs. One of the monitors will have a Mr. built in, and a Kickstarter will be announced soon, and they'll also have a video that answers a lot of questions. Uh, there's an Inferno arcade core by Jason A., uh, which he's released as a work in progress. 
Uh, Inferno is a twin-stick shooter developed by Williams Electronics and released in 1984. Uh, Jason A. has also started work on porting the Next 186 core from the MIS project. Next 186 is a core for older PC hardware that can run DOS 8086 and 8186 applications. It's also possible to get most 8286 applications running, and it may also run real-mode 32-bit 386 applications. So even though we already have AO486 core, um, using a core dedicated for the older hardware will probably more, be more opt optimal. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, no Object has released a new arcade core, a cave core, Esprade. Uh, and it's a public release. It's a 1998 vertical scrolling bullet hell shooter uh, with a science fiction theme. Um, players can choose between three playable characters to make their way through five increasingly difficult le levels. And increasingly difficult is probably a good description of most cave games. And uh, there are more uh, F Mr. FPGA updates, uh, including some cores getting miscellaneous fixes and updates like Mystic Marathon, the Neo Geo core, and Adventure Vision. And we have links to uh, more details on all those. And a huge thank you to Lou for writing all of this up. And congratulations to Bob for reaching 300 episodes. That's really incredible. Uh, we're all rooting for you, and you're definitely the most hardworking guy in retro gaming. And a lot of us see you as the glue that brings everything together. So big round of applause for Bob. 300 episodes. I've made a tiny amount of videos, and so I can appreciate how much work that is. It's a crazy, more than a full-time job at times. So uh, thanks for doing all this, Bob. And uh, here's to many more hundreds of podcasts, as long as you can maintain your sanity. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me on to do this. And uh, it's good catching up with everyone. Next, Mateus Baez just did a video about the Sega SVP chip, which was used by Sega for virtual racing, kind of the same way that Nintendo used the Super FX chip for Star Fox, Doom, and those other games nobody gives a shit about. But anyway, Mateus' video went into the decapping process of the chip and what developers found when they started poking around, including unused 3D libraries, which was even more of a hint that Sega worked on this chip for more than just virtual racing, but then never really got around to it. And also, the developer that worked on this created their own board that allowed them to turn a virtual racing cart into their own dev cart, essentially allowing them to mess around and opening up the potential for homebrew using the SVP chip. So if you are a Genesis developer who wants to make their own games or who already are, looking at you, Matt, maybe check this out because then you could use an FPGA implementation of the SVP chip to add that support to your games for whatever your next homebrew is. So as always, it was an awesome video from Mateus. I really enjoyed it. And I would also like to take this opportunity to invite Reese or to welcome Reese. I already invited him from Control Out Reese's YouTube channel to Retro RGB. I've been a fan of Reese's for a while now and following his work. And I was really happy when he decided to join the team and help share his knowledge with all of us. You're gonna see some more from Reese in the future, but for now, I just wanna say thanks both to you to Mateus and to the developer featured in the video who did the awesome work on the SVP chip. The crew over at Digital Foundry just reviewed the Chrono Cross Remastered Edition release for the PS5 and the Nintendo Switch, and they didn't like it. And to me, this really struck a nerve because 
I saw with this what I've seen with a lot of these scam cables that you see for, you know, HDMI for your old consoles. And a lot of people seem to think I'm overreacting, but they also don't seem to also see the dominoes falling. And what I mean by that is if a company either tries their best but fails miserably, which maybe that's what happened here, or if they just intentionally do something like, oh, we're going to put this game in a, a you know a laggy, buggy emulator and we're going to smooth out all the graphics with AI upscaling and just walk away and not really spend any time on it, then what ends up happening so often is somebody that's intrigued by retro. Maybe they were a gamer as a kid and they're coming back to it now, or maybe they're younger and they just heard people talk about these awesome games from the PlayStation 1 era. They try this and so many of them think, that's what the game is like. Just like with those crappy, scammy HDMI cables where you plug it into your Super Nintendo and, you know, Mario takes five minutes to jump after you hit the button. People so often get into that scenario and go, oh, this wasn't how I remember it. I must have just remembered good times as a kid. Or, oh, this isn't as good as my friend said. Maybe they just like weird games. And it's so often that we just lose those people to retro gaming forever, which sucks for everybody. It especially sucks for them because they might have loved getting into retro and they were turned away by a bad example of that. But it also sucks for the companies that have these cash grabs because they've lost a future customer for any of their retro releases like this. And of course, it also sucks for everybody else in the community. How many people are making brand new products for retro consoles? That person who now walked away would have loved to support and be a part of. So I always kind of get a little sensitive when it comes to this because I don't just see a failed remastered. I see what happens to people who are brought into the scene because of it and now walk away. And, you know, I don't know the developers personally. I don't know what went on. Maybe they tried their best. Maybe they had their best intentions, but things got pulled in a different direction. Anybody that works with me behind the scenes, I've done that to everybody at least once. I feel horrible when I do it, but sometimes it's just the way it is. I'm working on 10 projects and, you know, only 24 hours in a day. So I got to skip over one or two because I booked myself, you know, too tight. It happens, right? So, you know, I don't necessarily think we need to be mad at the team, but the situation deserves a little bit of scrutiny. And I wanted to check in with Audie Sorley, who was part of the review, and see what he thought. It sucks. Okay, thanks, Audie. A couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast with Lewis from Zez Retro, and I opened up way more than I normally would, which is very uncomfortable for me, because whenever it involves me, I'm an open book and I don't really care what anybody knows. I'll tell you whatever you want to know, but when it involves other people around me, and especially the people that donate their time to the retro gaming community, I'm very overly protective like a big, fluffy, drunk Santa dad, I guess. But uh, I decided to uh, just say whatever to Lewis. I was half asleep in the morning, which helped because I didn't exactly have my defense mechanisms up. But I trusted Lewis, and he was a great host. Um, Busted my chops in all of the best and right ways and only really poked at me when he kind of had an idea that I would have put some more thought into what I said before spitting it out. And he was right. It made for a great conversation. And if there was anybody to bust my chops out there, I would want, I would want it to be Lewis. Voltar too, of course, but Lewis is definitely up there. And I just wanted to share it with everybody because we went into detail 
as to what I do every day, which I thought was amazingly boring, but a lot of people were kind of interested in, oh, that makes sense, because I guess there's a lot of people out there that say I'm completely full of shit when I talk about the things that I do, which is fine. Most normal people wouldn't obsess about the things that I do and put the time in, so I get that it's a little weird and unbelievable, but we talked about that, and more importantly, we talked about the future of retro RGB, which I've been working insanely hard for the past couple of years to make a reality. When I came back and started doing this full-time, I had a pretty clear vision, but I always knew that was going to evolve, and then a few years ago, I had a very solid next step. And then the world shut down and everybody kind of laughed at the thought of having a next step. And here we are again. So I'm trying to swing back around to it. I've already made the uh, declaration, proclamation, I don't know, pick up fancy word, that 2022 is going to be the year that RetroRGB focuses on everybody else and really pushes forward what I've always said and tried to show that RetroRGB isn't at all and never has been me. It's been the retro gaming community and a spotlight shined at all of the awesome people around it. So um, if you're interested at all in what's coming next, take a listen, uh, you know, give me a little bit of some, some wiggle room here knowing that I was half asleep and exhausted. So uh, as always stuff falls out of my face the wrong way. So if you were offended or annoyed by something, it might, it's probably fair, but, <laughs> but just, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt just in case. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously a fan of Lewis's, um, and of course Steve's who he does the podcast with as well often. So if there was somebody to, to have this conversation with, it certainly would have been him. And I really hope that, uh, this gives you a better insight as to what goes on here. And I also hope that maybe more people will subscribe to Lewis because I'm really excited about what he and Steve are doing. I hope to do a lot more work with them. And uh, I think they have a lot of really awesome things coming forward, coming towards us. I don't know. I'm starting to get tired. I've been doing this all day. Sorry. So I've been selling on Whatnot for just under two months now. And while I've always said what I wanted to do with the platform, I think this is the first time I get to really show my intentions. Uh, and it's just a coincidence that it's on the 300th, by the way. It just all fell into place today. But I recently did a video talking about magnetically shielded speakers that are safe to be near CRTs. And Scott and I have been talking about different forms of VHS and DVD on CRT versus projectors probably since birth, to be honest with you. But we have been focusing in the past few months to make sure that we did this podcast correctly. And I ended up with a whole bunch of stuff that I needed to do those tests, but I don't really need for the long term. So now I'm going to auction them off this Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Whatnot. And that's one of two intentions for Whatnot. That's my selfish intention is to just try to auction off stuff that I have to buy for these videos that I, I love that I get to do these, but I don't really need them for the long term. But the other thing that I've wanted to do with Whatnot since I first discovered the platform and really understood how important it could be is bridge the gap between the general retro gaming community and the Whatnot selling buying community because every stream that i've done there has been a whole bunch of people that have no idea what we do they just see a new seller on whatnot they jump in to see what we're about and they engage and they're they're excited and they like to hear this crazy shit about rgb and you know all the weird things that are just normal to us and on the flip side there's been a lot of times that people hear me talk about it they go to retrorgb.link forward slash whatnot, sign up via that link and get 10 bucks off their first purchase, which is true. That's not bullshit. So it's a legit incentive for you to do that. But they come here getting their, you know, thinking they're going to buy something for 15 bucks, get 10 bucks off. Beautiful, you know, good way to spend a couple minutes. 
and they find a whole world of sellers that really know what they're talking about. And one of my favorite things about whatnot is if you're looking at somebody who's talking about something they're about to sell and you were on eBay, the only things that you could have is whatever was in the description, whatever pictures and you know, message and hope they message back. When you're on whatnot, you just say, hey, whatnot seller, could you flip that thing around so I could see what's on the back? And now you know exactly what you're getting before you buy it. And the whatnot seller knows exactly what they're presenting to you. And there's way less of a chance of things going wrong. And I really love that. And I love that we're bridging the gap between these communities. So that's it. That's my, you know, my long-term goal is to do videos like one I'm coming up soon where I have a pile of stuff right there that I have zero use for other than to do this video coming up. So I'll be selling it off on whatnot when I'm done. But every time I do these things, I really want to bring both communities together. In fact, for this weekend stream, this Friday night stream, uh, I did reach out to a few whatnot sellers that are more experts in that field than I am. I think they all thought I was totally fucking nuts, but that's fine. It's fine. I'm I'm a new person trying to encroach on their community. I get it. No hard feelings. Uh, eventually, they'll figure out I'm just the jolly fat guy that wants to smile and high five everybody. But point is, I, I really do hope that we can bring each community together and learn from each other and benefit from each other because I see a lot of potential on that platform. Uh, I mean, you know, I have no real affiliation with them. For all I know, it'll all go to hell next week, but that's not the impression that I get. They they really seem to be listening to people, improving uh, and I've been having a blast with all of you on there. So this Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, join me to sell, buy the stuff that I just listed. And uh, hopefully we could have some fun together in the future. I'll be doing at least one stream a month, but probably more regular than that. And more importantly, I also want to introduce other members of the retro gaming community to the WhatNot platform. And that'll probably be next week as well. So stay tuned for that one. Well, that brings us to the end of the 300th episode extravaganza. I actually had one more thing I wanted to talk about. There's some very exciting news about the wiki, but I'm exhausted and I don't think I could give it the enthusiasm it deserves. So we'll we'll highlight that next week. It'll be the big 301. But before I go, there are two things, two more things that I would like to share with you. And no, it's not, you know, don't forget to like and subscribe. I, I mean these two genuinely, one selfishly. The first... Thank you. Thank you to anybody who's watched two of these podcasts or to the shockingly many of you who've been there since day one. And also, I'm sorry to the people who've been there since day one. When I was doing that montage before, man, it took a while to get to get better. But thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for supporting the community. Thank you to anybody who supports on any of the services that keep all of this going. I just, I can't tell you how appreciative I am to, to be honest, to all of the retro gaming community. And, you know, a little aside here, please don't forget that social media algorithms love to highlight the bad because that's what gets people clicking. But that's not the retro gaming community. We're mostly awesome. And it's, it's strange to say that, but it is the truth. There's way more awesome people here than there are not. So uh, I'm very appreciative to be a part of it. Uh, you know, thank you again for everything you've done. And the only other thing I would like to share is somebody, uh, you know, a while back asked me, like, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one thing I've done in the past few years to show people, what would it be? And my, my choice is amazingly selfish. It's not some of the 
wonderful people that I've gotten the the privilege to highlight and interview and talk about. It's not some of the amazing projects that some I've been a part of, some I just got to write about. Nope. The very last thing I'd like to share with you in the 300th episode is one of the coolest things I've ever done. It is 100% selfish, and it doesn't even really matter if you're listening audio only or if you're watching on video. I still love it, and I want to share it with all of you. So thank you all so much. I really hope to be able to, to get the support to do this for another 300. But if nothing else, I want to leave you with this. One day, well, one day I'll get you on one of my uh, CDI live streams and uh... convert you to the cult. It's the only console powerful enough to bring it to you. How are you doing? Thunder in Paradise shooter game is like really, really well done. It's different, and I and I had like the infrared controller. So I gave the CDI a chance, and then I learned what it really means to be a game. It's the ISIS. Get to the chopper!